Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, and I'm joined by the fabulous John Ronaldo. John, how's it going today? I'm good. I'm good. I am in the process of recovering from a very busy but fun Religious Education Congress weekend uh, in Anaheim. We had a great, great time. They, of course, you know, they boast that they have 40,000 people that attend. Uh, it's a fun but long but fun, but long event. So I'm a little tired, to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, rub it in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How about you, man? How are you? Well, I'm not recovering from a long and wonderful <laughs> Congress because, uh, you know, I, I haven't made it out there yet. Um, just like the honorary degree, I'm waiting for an in- invitation. That's how I, I function, right? I think I get that from like my, my grandmother, who is always kind of like, well, I didn't get the invitation. So I didn't think I was, you know, welcome there or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, for me, uh, though, things are going well, because again, we're still in my favorite season, uh, favorite time of the year, which is March Madness. Uh, now I'm not apologetic about it at all, even though Xavier didn't make it in. I was listening to that conversation we had with uh, Roy, and uh, we were saying, imagining that Xavier had made it, and they made it into the NIT, which... All right, it's fine. It's more basketball, which uh, more college basketball, which I love. But uh, yeah, no, it's a good time of year. It's a good season. Uh, you know, for those of you who aren't basketball fans, we know it's the season of Lent. And one of the nice things about being in the season of Lent is it leads us up to Easter. But I don't know about you, John, but one of my favorite parts about the liturgical year is the tritium, right? And it, the pinnacle of the tritium, I don't know if you can say it's the pinnacle, but like for me, the highlight is that Easter vigil mass, right? That uh, Holy Saturday Easter vigil mass where we welcome men and women into the church. And that's why I'm really excited about our guest today. Yes, I am too. Easter Vigil is one of the most beautiful celebrations, or probably the most beautiful celebration the church has to offer. And today we have a special guest who's going to help talk a little bit about RCIA. I am excited that we have Diana McAlento here with us. Diana and I actually worked together for many years in the Diocese of San Jose. She was the Director of Liturgy and Worship during that time while I was the director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry. And so we, we did a lot of collaboration then. And now she is uh, one of the leaders uh, and founders of Team RCIA. And of course, that's our topic. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Yay. Thank you, John. Thanks so much. I miss working with you. But, uh, but hey, we're both doing some good stuff now, aren't we're we? We're trying our best, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I have said this before, and I'll say it again, uh, and I'm not just blowing smoke, Diana. I, I have always been inspired by your leadership, by your gifts and your strengths. And so I think it's just an honor for us to have you here uh, to talk about RCIA. I think nobody talks about it better than, than you and Nick Wagner. And unfortunately, we don't have Nick this time. We'll get him next time. But we have you. So... Diana, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of, you know, what your experience is like and how you kind of got to where you are at now. Uh, So, well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, I got started in ministry so long ago, like so many of you probably. Uh, I actually wanted to be a rock star, and I thought being a music minister in the church would obviously lead to that. And so at eight years old, I, I joined the parish choir and learned how to play my four chords on the guitar. And nobody uh, 
discovered me at the 12 o'clock mass all those years. So I decided I would just continue with music ministry. But as I kept going through that, I just started falling more and more in love with the liturgy itself. So that uh, liturgy didn't become just a, a venue for playing music that I liked and singing. It, it, I started to see how once we celebrate liturgy well with some intention, um, it changes people's lives. And so eventually I got my degree in liturgy and theology and uh, going beyond that, I realized you can't just do liturgy well, you gotta sort of lead people and help them unpack what they just did, which is catechesis. And so I started looking into um, how do we catechize people and that just gradually naturally led into looking at the marriage of those two areas, liturgy and catechesis, which is the catechumenate, the rite of Christian initiation of adults. Um, and so that, that whole, that whole uh, endeavor just led naturally to looking at how, how does this entire system of our church work together? And I could tell you a great story about, um, about uh, the first time I saw this. Um, at an Easter vigil at the Newman Center at the University Catholic Center in Los Angeles. I was the music director there and we had this one woman who, um, she had been in our parish, our community for two years. And when she came to us, she was just uh, so distraught. So uh, living in a, a life that where she really had no hope. She felt like she had no worth in her life and uh, the church was kind of her last, her last chance to find that joy and hope. And so she knocks on our door and she says, I think I wanna get baptized. And for the next two years, we're accompanying her and answering her questions and learning about her story. And basically all she's doing is hanging out with our community. She, we had, we had our, what you would call uh, RCIA gatherings and all, but the main thing was she made friends at the Newman Center, and those friends were people who lived their faith out loud, and so she learned how to pray by hanging out with her friends. She learned how to say the rosary. She learned about the Bible because she joined a Bible study group, and so that's that's how she became Christian. And then on the night when we actually baptized her at the Easter vigil, she's standing in the, the font and she comes out of the font that last time um, dripping wet and she's just glowing. She is radiant. She is a completely different person than the person we had met a couple years earlier. And that's when I knew that when we do the rites well, and when we accompany people in an authentic kind of faith leading up to the rites, it changes not just people like her, but it changes our entire community. So, so I was sold by that time. That, that, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate the story. And one thing that really struck me was how uh, you said you met her two years ago, or you met her like two years before she received the sacraments. Um, she enrolled in the RCIA classes, but it was all these other things that, yeah. that 
uh, she got involved in it. Was that intentional or was that just part of her personality to get plugged into more things? Um, tell us a little bit more about like how that came about uh, that she was getting plugged into all these different things. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. So I tell this story a lot when I do workshops and stuff and it, it sounds very idyllic and romantic romantic and like wow we planned it this way mm -hmm. and uh, the RCIA team that I was uh, helping to lead at that time we didn't plan it that way at all right. she was actually kind of a rebel and she wasn't she wasn't um, sticking to our structure that we had <laughs> planned out for her even before she showed up and so this was this was uh, 20 years ago or so and um, we were still, I was still learning how to do this process. And because, because we were in a university culture, because I was so um, steeped in this educational kind of system, and that's how most of us learned our faith, by going to classes and going to religious education, or we thought that's how you teach people how to be Catholic, how to be Christian. And so we had prepared something like 32 lessons for her and she had to attend every single one of them. But her personality was such that um, she really looked for other things and she was looking for something genuine and authentic. And uh, also I forgot to mention, she came, she knocked on the door of the Newman Center in the middle of January and if you're anything like uh, what we were, you know that RCIA, quote unquote, starts in September, along with every other school structured system, and it ends in May or at Easter or at Pentecost. Um, and so we didn't know what to do with her when she showed up. So we told her, well, you know, we can't put you in the classes right away. Um, it's a good thing I, I didn't tell her just come back in September. Otherwise she would probably never have come back. Um, so we told her, you know, just hang out, just hang out with us, come to mass, hang out with some people. We'll introduce you to a bunch of people and they'll answer your questions. And it was from that where she became friends with these people and those friends taught her what it meant to be Catholic. And our, our classes were sort of just uh, icing on the top of that without her friendships without her relationships with real people in the community she might have learned stuff but she wouldn't have been changed as much as she was so fast awesome. forward so fast forward 20 years now you know here you are looking back at that experience clearly that experience has shaped your ministry your vocation your career you know, uh, what does it, what ha has that experience done to you in terms of how you manage, run uh, an RCIA process or an RCIA, dare I say, a program? What do you do differently and how do you articulate the changes in your mind and the vision of what RCIA could be or should be today? Um, well, let's see. So fast forwarding, uh, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> And so, so everything that I learned about it, I put into that book, but what it, what it really, what I've learned, the insights that I got from that experience and everything after that was that we really have to trust the Holy Spirit so much more. 
um, I am such a control freak and uh, I just I just prepared a, a one and a half hour workshop that I'm doing with uh, somebody else and it's like a 10 page outline set down to the minute and the second when we're going to start and stop each section and I think a lot of us want to have that kind of control especially in the church uh, when we're when we're responsible for handing on the faith to somebody else we don't want to mess up we don't want to leave anything out we want to make sure they know everything that they have to know and we want to control that process but that's not what faith is faith is not an intellectual exercise faith is a conversion of heart and how do you control your heart you you can't control falling in love you can't control falling out of love. You can't control um, the joys and the sorrows that you encounter in daily life. But you can help people respond to what happens in, in their everyday life. And that's what grace is. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And so we have to, I learned that we have to trust, one, the Holy Spirit, trust that the Holy Spirit is working in our parish communities, even in the imperfect lives of our parishioners. Um, it's like a family. Uh, and we say the church is our family, the Christian family. We're the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And none of our families are perfect, but we find grace and holiness and we forgive and we offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. We lay down our lives for one another, even in that imperfection. And that's what we're hoping to hand on, that kind of lifestyle to people who want to follow Christ. The, the knowledge of the faith is part of that, but it's not the first thing. Even our Pope says that, Pope Francis says, um, the first thing you do is heal the wounds. That's the first thing. Uh, you can't, um, he uses that metaphor of the, the field hospital, you know, so the church has field hospital. And the first thing you do for a person who's bleeding is you bind the wounds, you stop the bleeding, and then you analyze their, their cholesterol and their diet and their exercise and all of that. That comes second. And so he says, when people come to us seeking Christ, they're not necessarily seeking knowledge about Christ. They're seeking something deeper that's missing in their lives. Give them that and the knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what our faith is will come out of that. Do you, do you think that's um, one of the biggest challenges that uh, RCI coordinators or directors face is the whole idea of uh, control, uh, like asking people to conform to our programs instead of um, looking at ourselves to uh, not conform, but to uh, adapt to where they are in their in, in their lives. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. And, and why do you think that is? Like, like, is it just because of the control thing, or the neatness, or the messiness of it, or is it something you know further? Well, I think it, so. One of the things that my husband and I do with uh, Team RCIA is we do maybe 15, 15 conferences and institutes and workshops throughout North America. And we meet 
people who are just dedicated and amazing um, people of faith who desire to hand on that faith to others. But they're also sometimes um, uh, either hesitant to speak from their own understanding. We've grown up in our church uh, with such a, an un, um, a, a culture where other people are experts in the faith. So father is the expert or the deacon or sister is the expert and we hand on that responsibility of knowledge of the faith to them and we're just going to be the volunteers helping out but we also have to realize that the holy spirit was poured into our hearts at our baptism and that is what gives us the knowledge of the faith that it's the spirit and so it's trusting that we know who christ is as well and that gives us a responsibility to deepen our own faith in such a way that it's not just about what we know about tradition, about the catechism, but that we are living out our faith in an authentic way. And that's a scary thing because it, it requires us to reflect on our own way of life. If, if we don't feel worthy of that call, we we cede that that privilege to others or we try to um, clean it up with schedules and um, uh, uh, lesson plans that other people have created and therefore it's not our responsibility to speak in our own words about what we understand so how would you go about, and I know this happens often, how would you go about today, someone coming in January and saying, hey, I've been praying about this. I've been thinking about this for a while now. I think I am ready, you know, to, to become initiated the church and become Catholic. Like, what, what, how would an RCIA team respond to an inquiry like that yeah. when it's coming, say, in January or, God forbid, it's coming in March, a month before <laughs> vigil, like, what do you do? How do you handle that? <laughs> do the, the fast track, fast track to conversion. <laughs> no, I will. So here's what most, what, what I did a lot, which is not what you're supposed to do. So when someone calls or emails or knocks on the door, a lot of times the way we respond is having them fill out a form, you know, getting them registered and then doing an intake kind of sheet where we take down all the information. And uh, that's, that's necessary, but that's not the first step when, when your goal is to uh, get to know who this person is. Uh, what you're doing is we're called to enter into a relationship with this person. And so if you think about how do you, how do you get to know somebody that you first met that you're really interested in? You don't have them fill out a form, right? You sit down and talk with them. You ask them, so tell me your story. Where have you been? Um, what are you doing now? Why, why is it now that uh, you're coming here? Has something happened? A lot of times when people are seeking to follow Christ, 
something significant has happened in their life that causes them to search something out, causes them to do something different. Maybe it was a death, maybe <clears throat> the birth of a, a child, maybe, maybe something amazing. Maybe they saw a lot of people, they, uh, they see our Pope and they look at why does he do that? Why does he, why does he welcome strangers? Why does he live the way he does? And those are, those are questions that are Holy Spirit questions. And our goal in that encounter is to say why. And so when people come to us, first we ask about their story. And then we ask, uh, what, what are they looking for? You know, it's, it's the Jesus conversation when uh, people said to him, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, you know, well, come and see, you know, what are you seeking? Uh, he's asking those kinds of relational questions. And that's where we start. And then from there, we can, once we know what they want, then we can say, well, here's what we can offer. That Then we introduce them to the parish community. Because if you want to find the fullness of Christ, that fullness is in the living, breathing body of Christ, living out the faith of Christ in its everyday life. Uh, it's not... It's not found just in the pastor. It's not found just in a class. It's found in what Christians do um, together and individually every day. Uh, so a question that keeps coming to mind, and uh, you know, it's funny because not that I haven't thought about um, how do we receive people who want to you know, become Catholic midway through our RCIA schedule or whatever, mm-hmm. But what are some things you would recommend to parishes to set up um, or have like intentionally placed so that if someone does come mid season or mid process that you, that they can be connected into something. I mean, I know we said community, but are there some basic um, programs or opportunities or events or resources that you would point to that you've found have been helpful? Yeah. Um, So first thing, uh, the, first, the, the ground that we have to set up for ourselves, the, the rule that we have to set up for ourselves is that this process of conversion has no timeline. And so whenever, whenever somebody knocks on the door, um, that is the beginning or that, that's really the continuation of a journey that they've already been going through with the Holy Spirit. And we don't set the deadline for when they have to be baptized. We don't set the deadline for when they have to be received. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is simply to embrace them and welcome them into the Christian community. And so when someone knocks on the door, sends an email, calls up, uh, we say, well, hey, here's our our mass schedule. Come on over any time. And let us know. We'll meet you. We'll we'll sit with you. We'll answer any of your questions. And um, uh, something that a parish can do right away is simply have a, a two or three people who are those we call them. I my husband calls them ambassadors of welcome. All they do is they hang out at the parish whenever people are there. So typically Sundays, and they're looking for the stranger, and they 
strike up conversations with a stranger. And when someone uh, either at the parish office or the RCIA team says, hey, somebody's interested in starting this journey of conversion, that ambassador of welcome is sort of their, their first connection to the parish. And that person introduces that person to all the different people in the parish. And that person also starts to say, pulls out the bulletin and says, here are some things happening in our parish these next few weeks. Is there anything here that you think you might be interested in going to? And uh, then that ambassador of welcome connects them with that group or that activity and sends someone with them. So it's really starting them off right away. It's not even classes yet. We're not even talking about classes. We're just talking about doing, learning how to be Catholic by doing what Catholics do. Um, something that we've done in one parish, which really, really, really worked, was we had a spaghetti ministry. And uh, what this was, was um, we, we called up two or three different families or persons who just like to cook. And we asked them, you know, maybe twice a year, three times a year, or however many times you're available, if somebody comes to our parish asking to uh, be baptized or to uh, to become Catholic, can we send them with somebody from our team to your house and you just make dinner for them and just get to know them? And they're like, yeah, we can do that. We, we like spaghetti. We can make spaghetti. We can do that. And so we started doing that. And uh, our goal was to get the inquirer, the seeker, connected to real people just to in an informal setting um, so that they felt like they had some friends in the community. What we didn't expect was that the people that we invited to make the dinner, they were they became so excited. They became like, send me more people. I, that was great. That was awesome. I loved learning about these people and just getting to know them. And it made our parish little by little a little bit more welcoming a little bit more evangelizing a little bit less scared to just talk to people um, so that's those people weren't on the RCIA team they didn't have to come to team meetings they just had to make dinner or order out and have dinner um, and they just did that in their usual um, schedule we weren't asking them to come to another meeting in their calendar and so we need to find ways to use the resources that are already happening in our parishes um, where people who are seeking Christ can meet others who are living out the Christian way of life. Is this what you mean? So uh, in 2018, you released a book called Your Parish is a Curriculum, RCIA mm -hmm. in the Midst of Community. This is what you mean by that, right? You know, that's not just about the 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 RCIA clinical classes, but like yeah. engaging them into life, the community, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The title of that book actually came from a document written by the United States bishops back in, oh, I want to say the early 1990s called Our Hearts Were Burning Within Us, Adult Faith Formation um, in the United States. And in that document, uh, the bishop said something like, you know, you can have you can have all these great 
religious education programs. You can have great classes for adults on, the, on learning about their faith. You can do all of that. But if the rest of your parish life isn't functioning, if homilies aren't engaging, if the parish is not welcoming to people who show up uh, in, sitting next to them in their pew, if uh, there isn't a vibrant community that looks like they love one another and um, like one another and um, uh, spend time together, if there aren't other things happening in your parish, then those, those programs that you've set up won't be effective because whether or not you like it, your parish is the curriculum for faith formation. And so um, I have a, uh, a three-year-old nephew, Jake, and when he was first, when he uh, was first born, we, we uh, visited him and uh, we spent the day with him and he's crawling around on the floor. And I'm, I'm such a good aunt and godmother and I'm, sitting in the corner playing with my phone and looking at my email and looking at Facebook and Jake comes crawling over and he grabs my phone and he puts it in his mouth and so he slobbers all over it and then he starts punching all the buttons exactly the same way that I was doing and I'm thinking how did he learn that it, it was just because he was watching he was imitating and mm. watching and that's kind of what happens with our parishes people who are looking for christ and want to learn what it means to be christian they learn by watching us and that's why um the rcia documents the the right of christian initiation of adults says that the the primary teacher is the parish community we are the example of what it means to be Christian. It's not your curriculum. It's your parish that is going to teach people how to do that. And that just changed the way I saw what I was doing in terms of RCI. One of the biggest um, problems that people who are doing RCI ministries say is once they're baptized, people disappear. They leave. And how do we get them to stay? And the way you get them to stay is by helping them make friends in the community, helping them be part of the community, part of the community from day one. You don't wait until Easter after they're baptized to introduce them to the community. Because when you say, okay, now you're baptized, go be part of the parish. They often say, oh no, I love RCIA. Can't I just stay in RCIA? I don't know anybody else. Uh, and that's when you know you failed because you're well, not initiating people into the RCIA. You're initiating people into the body of Christ, which is what your parish is doing. Well, and, and we see that in other areas as well, like um, in pre-cana and confirmation yeah. preparation as well. You know, as a youth minister, I hear that a lot where um, we offer all these other youth programs, um, but the kids going through confirmation, you know, if we don't do a good enough job, communicating these other opportunities for them to grow in their youth, they get connected to that group through confirmation, which is great because it's solidarity, it's empathy, yeah. you know, you're going through the shared experience, but then confirmation ends and you don't have anything programmatically planned for that group. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, join the rest of the youth ministry. And they're like, what? Like, yeah. and 
same thing with pre-canna and, um, you know, even other kind of uh, preparation processes that happen like that. So I think I appreciate what you're saying because there can't be, it can't be emphasized enough, like how much we need to connect them into the regular life of the parish and that RCIA or confirmation prep or marriage prep are all tools as a part of that, but aren't necessarily the be all and end all of, uh, of their faith. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's the beauty of this. Once you understand this principle of catechesis and the, what the bishops were saying, then it makes sense on how you have to change everything else that you've been doing where we've, we've worked in silos so much and as diocesan people, as people who work in the church, we know this happens among our staff where youth ministers don't ever talk to the catechist and liturgists don't ever talk to the DRE and nobody knows what father is doing. And so it's, we have to start seeing ourselves as this is the community. Uh, and so how does the community function together and not just separate individuals? And so, so all of all of the programs, the programmatic um, events that you you mentioned, those can definitely be transformed once we start thinking, how does our parish teach uh, newlyweds to live as uh, uh, in that vocation of married life? How how does um how does the say the daily mass crowd what can they teach uh families who are preparing for first communion um so we have to look at all of those things i love uh in in the book to prepare for that i i wanted to try and exercise where i looked up in the middle of june so this is summertime most of our parishes are are shutting down for vacation and not much is happening so i thought okay let me let me look up some parishes that i know throughout the country and look up their bulletin for that that week in june and see what's going on in their parish and uh, so i i looked up uh, this huge parish in houston uh, that is my mother-in-law's parish. And they had a ton of stuff happening and I just wrote all of those down on a sheet. And in the RCIA, it talks about four areas of discipleship, four areas of training that every Christian needs to be skilled at. And those four areas are the area of word, which includes not just scripture, but the teaching of the church. Um, the second area is the area of community. How do you learn to live a Christian spirituality where you are laying down your life for one another, where you are um, offering and giving, offering and asking for forgiveness, where you are learning to love people that you don't even agree with. Uh, so that sense of community. Third area is worship, um, where you learn how to pray, not just on Sundays, but in your daily life. And the last area is apostolic witness. How do you go out into the world and preach the gospel in your everyday situation? You know, not being a street preacher or what, but just how by your behavior, how do you witness to the life of Christ? So those four areas. So I took that list from this huge parish and I just started categorizing all of these events that I found in, in their bulletin. So they were having a, a barbecue that week there was going to be a uh, procession for Our Lady of Fatima 
there was a diocesan youth uh, conference happening. And so I just started putting those together. And then I thought, okay, if I had a person who knocked on the door this Sunday, where can I tell them to go to learn about something about our Christian faith? And there are all these things that they could choose from. People who are already doing stuff. I didn't have to plan anything. I didn't have to set up another meeting or a lesson or anything. I just say, go participate in this procession and then come back in a couple of weeks and tell me what you experienced. What did you see? What did you hear? So I thought, okay, that's great. But I know somebody's going to say, Diana, that's a huge parish in Houston. My parish, we don't do anything. Nobody gets paid. There's nothing happening. So I thought, okay, let me find the smallest parish I can find online that has their bulletin online. So I found um, our, our, our St. Rose of Lima in Wrangell, Alaska has about 30 people registered in their parish and they had a one page bulletin. That week in Wrangell, Alaska, in the middle of June, they were having a Bible study with the Presbyterians. They were having a luncheon after their one Sunday mass. And uh, that week they were installing their new bishop and the pastor needed help mowing the lawn. So I thought, those are perfect. Those fall right into those four categories of discipleship. So if someone knocked on the door, I could say, go to one of those things and come back and let's talk about it. And, and so this can happen. Your bulletin is your number one least used resource for RCIA formation. That's really powerful. And I think what you're really naming is it's a, it's, a, it's a cultural shift for us as lay ministers in the church to think that way, right? Because we're into the silos, we're doing our own thing, you know, and um, whatever the Bible study or whatever else is going yeah. on, it's not part of my, my RCIA, yeah. you know, process. <clears throat> but what you're actually saying is, no, it is. And actually you want to have good sacramental prep what you're saying is we've got to then vitalize or revitalize the parish. Now, yeah. now I'm not saying we need to go change everything, but it's looking at what the church is doing with a, yeah. just a different lens, right? Yeah. That's, oh, that's just something the ladies guild does. That's over there. Well, no, actually it could be an effective part of, yeah. uh, of your sacramental prep, whether it's RCA, whether it's confirmation, whether it's a wedding prep, whatever it might be. And, and, and that's a, that's a, a shift. It's a small shift. But I think it's a giant leap. But I think that's the challenge. I think that's the leap that we have to make. And, and I have to do it. You have to, we all have. That's the challenge for us. I think and that's that's where I'm walking away with right now from this conversation. That's absolutely it. And you named it there, John. This is parish renewal. So it's not just about people in RCIA. This changes the ladies guild. This changes the people who uh, mow the lawn. It because now they're interacting with people who are looking for a new way of life and they're being given this opportunity to share their faith in a different way with people who really want to know about their faith and sometimes people have never been given that opportunity they they think oh father or sister or the deacon they're the ones who teach people how to be christian i don't do that but no, you are, you do that. And that, that should scare us a little bit, but it should also encourage us to, to deepen our own faith 
and live it, be better examples of it. Awesome. Well, Diana, there is so much that I am just processing and chewing on, and I'm sure we could keep this conversation going for, uh, you know, another hour or, or something like that. But, uh, you know, um, we're, uh, unfortunately, we got to wrap it up. But uh, where can people find more of you and uh, what you're doing? What's the best way to, to reach out and, and learn a little bit more about what you've been sharing with us today? So you can uh, find a ton of information about the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults and Adult Faith Formation at teamrcia.com. So like RCIA team, but backwards, teamrcia.com. That's a website that my husband, Nick Wagner, and I started 12 years ago simply as a blog. And now it's it's grown into this huge monster of a, a resource online. And there's a ton of free stuff. There's a ton of other stuff that you can pay for if you want to go deeper. But it's really, it's we started that so that uh, ministers in the church who don't have resources can find the resources that they need for RCIA. Awesome. Awesome. And so again, that's teamrcia.com and uh, you can find uh, everything uh, that Diana was sharing and more there. And um, of course she uh, was a part of the RE, RE Congress that John was yep. at. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Um, uh, so she goes around and, and speaks as well. Uh, again, Diana, thank you so much. John, any final comments or questions? Uh, I am so thankful, Diana, that you came and joined us. And, and we have to have you back. I mean, there's so much I want to talk with you about, not just RCIA, but you are a liturgist as well. And, and you, you know, I've had the opportunity to experience you uh, leading and facilitating incredible liturgies. So we got we to gotta talk about that. We, I mean, we have to talk about marriage prep. You guys have a book oh, on yeah. marriage prep, That's too. Right. Like, so, yeah, just go to Amazon.com, type in <laughs> Diana Macaletto, and there's like – five books here that just pop up your parish is a <laughs> curriculum you know uh the work of your hands prayers yeah. for ordinary and extraordinary moments of grace i actually do have that book on my shelf uh joined by the church sealed by a blessing mm -hmm. uh which is your wedding uh, marriage prep book which i also have on my shelf so anyways uh Diana is a gift to the church. So go check out what, what they've got going on at rcia.com and, and take a look at these resources. They really are incredible. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Chris. Not a problem. Not a problem. So if you guys have questions, uh, not just for Diana, but for us, uh, shoot them to questions at thechurchpodcast.org or you can go to our website, thechurchpodcast.org. You can find John at johnronaldo.com or uh, everywhere on the social media <laughs> network, especially LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me at marathonyouthministry.com um, as well as uh, different social media platforms. Um, again, Diana, thank you so much. And uh, one, one of the things that we like to do uh, when we have a guest on the show is to have them close us in prayer. So will you do us the honor? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, if you could help me with this, um, what's a blessing that you, in a word or a phrase, a blessing you've received recently? Oh, patience. Patience? Lots of patience, which okay. is suffering quietly, but pay, God has gotten me through that. So yeah, awesome. patience. How about you, John? Uh, my snuggling kids. Oh, okay, great. Okay, well, let, let us pray. Let us remember that uh, we are in the holy presence of God. God of life and light. God of new life. 
we give you thanks for the patience that you bestow upon us, the patience that helps us to meet you in our everyday lives, in the most unsuspected places, unexpected places, the patience that helps us carry the burdens and the sorrows, not just of ourselves, but of our world. We give you thanks too for the life that you give us, the life that wakes us up each day, the life in our children, our grandchildren, in those who love us and nurture us. We ask you to give us patience this Lent that we might rise to new life and be a new creation for our world that is suffering, for those who come to us each day seeking you. May your son, Jesus, be with us and walk with us on this road to the new Jerusalem. May we be a friend to all those we meet on the road that we might bring them to your son. For you live and reign in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.